Did you know that the Bible mentions over 3,000 individual people? We're all captivated by the stories of Moses, Noah, Mary and Joseph, and John the Baptist. But what about the thousands of overlooked and underestimated characters who are part of the stories we aren't so familiar with? Each one of them is loved by God and made in His image, just like the characters we already know, and just like us. Their stories hold a mirror up to our own lives and in the process help us see the image of God in the people around us every day. So join us for a little people watching as we uncover the stories of these humans of the Bible. Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. My name is Ruthie, I'm one of the pastors here and really delighted to add my word of welcome to those of you worshiping with us on campus or online. Have you ever noticed that sometimes a TV series comes along that almost becomes iconic for an age? If you were around in the 70s, <clears throat> as some of us were, um, it was MASH. And I'll bet if you're close to my age or beyond, you remember not only MASH, but where you were when you watched the last episode. In fact, I heard that because of the water being suddenly um, flushed in New York City at the end of the episode, there was this surge out of the Catskills into New York City for fresh water. That, no lie, the water pressure totally went down because uh, everybody in New York City had been watching and then had to run to the bathroom. <laughs> in the 1980s, it was Cheers, set here in Boston. As a New England girl who was not living in New England, I remember just sort of watching it and thinking wistfully of the Red Sox and Boston and downtown. And then in the 90s, it was Friends. Yeah, my husband John and I were, and to be honest, still are, avid Friends watchers. In fact, we have a lousy day, we just don't like anything else that's on, we're like, let's just watch another episode of Friends. We have all 10 seasons, we have Netflix, we can watch it in multiple places in our house. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but I'm often caught quoting Friends, and I really love some of the uniquenesses to each character, like Phoebe, you gotta love Phoebe, which she's cleansing somebody's aura or um, singing Smelly Cat, but I really love when she um, pretends that she doesn't know something and has to pretend to be surprised about it, and so it's like, that is brand new information! I love that line. And then Chandler's way of always having to emphasize certain words right near the end of his sentences, like, some people are going to have to work extra this weekend. And then Joey's standard pickup line, how you doing? <laughs> Being married to a Jersey guy, we say that a lot in our house. Now, one of the major themes throughout the 10 seasons of Friends was the on-again, off-again relationship of Ross and Rachel. In season two, Ross, who has had a crush on Rachel since he was a teenager, is trying to decide if he should continue to date this young woman, Julie, once he has now found out Rachel actually likes him back. And so the guys are trying to help him decide what he should do, and so they t suggest that he make a pro and con list for each of the women. So he comes up with a few superficial things for Rachel's con list, and they ask, okay, so what about Julie? What's wrong with Julie? And Ross just stands there and says, 
She's not Rachel. Well, we were programmed to be rooting for Ross and Rachel all 10 seasons. Though I wonder, did anyone ever care about Julie? Or the countless other love interests of Ross that never measured up to Rachel? I wonder, have you ever felt like you never measured up to some arbitrary standard? Have you ever felt like the forgotten one, the less desired, the unwanted, or the unloved? Now, this is the second week in our sermon series, Humans of the Bible, and once again, we're gonna go back into the Old Testament and find one of the lesser-known characters, or if you have heard of her, it's because you know her to be the one nobody wanted. Leah. But let me give you a little Old Testament history to, to prepare you for the story. So the story begins with Abraham. Abraham is the one whom God called to leave his homeland with his wife Sarah and to go to a place that God would show him. God was making promises, saying, I'm gonna promise um, you this land. You're going to be a father of many nations. I'm going to bless you and through you bless all the nations of the earth. At the time of these promises, Abraham and Sarah have zero children. He found that a little hard to believe. And so they kind of take matters in their own hands, getting impatient with God's timing. And Sarah allows Abraham to be with her maid, Hagar, and Ishmael is born. That's a story for another day this summer. But eventually, Abraham and Sarah do have Isaac, their son. And then Isaac grows up and marries a woman named Rebecca, and they have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older, he was born first, but Jacob was right behind him with his little hand on Esau's heel, kind of foreshadowing what was to come. For Jacob became the favorite of the mother, and with her tricked their father into receiving the blessing that was due Esau as the eldest. Now, this is all just the Reader's Digest version of this story. I want you to go home, and if it's raining later, then start reading Genesis 27 to 33, and you're gonna find more drama and intrigue and deception and trickery than The Bachelor, Grey's Anatomy, or Downton Abbey all rolled in together. Now, needless to say, Esau is very angry at this turn of events. So Rebecca suggested that Jacob run off to her brother's home for a while until Esau has cooled off. Isaac agrees and even suggests that he take a wife there. So today, this is where we pick up the story. Jacob has just arrived at the home of Rebecca's brother, Laban, and I'm reading from the message. This is God's word. Now, Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes, <clears throat> but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It is far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yes, stay here with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days, for he loved her so much. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what I agreed to do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah. 
and brought her to the marriage bed, and Jacob slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came. There was Leah in the marriage bed. Jacob confronted Laban. What have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, then we'll give you the other one also, but it will cost you another seven years of work. Jacob agreed. When he'd completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. Jacob then slept with her, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He worked for Laban another seven years. Now, setting aside some fairly obvious patriarchal injustices here, this episode is rife with drama and intrigue. As Jacob was approaching the home of Laban, he actually had met Rachel ahead of this encounter, and he saw her to be very beautiful. He even kissed her. I'm not even sure if he'd gotten her name yet. So then he agrees to work for Laban in order to earn her hand in marriage. He proceeds to do this, but notice that once those seven years are completed, he doesn't specifically say, now I want to marry Rachel. Instead, he says, give me my wife. Such a romantic, this guy. <laughs> Thus, the doors opened a crack for Laban to interpret that request any way he wants to. And he sneaks Leah to the altar instead of Rachel. Spoiler alert, lift the veil before you say I do. <laughs> now, what do you suppose is going through Leah's mind? She knew Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He'd made that very specific and very clear from the beginning. And it seems she is oddly silent through the whole marriage feast. And in the darkness of the night, they enter the bedchamber together. She knows who she is, and Jacob does not. And it's not until the sun rises the next day that Jacob realizes that he who deceived his own father has now been deceived by his father-in-law. Walter Wangren, an award-winning author in his book entitled The Book of God, The Bible as a Novel. It makes for very interesting reading. He writes of this moment in his section entitled Leah Speaks. When my husband discovered that I was not my sister, I did not blame him for his anger. I had expected anger. He scarcely looked at me, at me. I mean, he did not see Leah. He only saw not Rachel. She's not Rachel. Well, they certainly knew each other. Jacob had been working for their family for seven years, living in their home, sitting at meals together, telling stories around the fire. But all he could see was that Leah's not Rachel. It's as though Leah was not even a person. To her father, Leah was the less attractive older sister that needed to get married off. Her feelings or her opinions were never considered. She was nothing short of property to be managed. Wangren goes on to creatively fill in some of the feelings that Leah may have had. 
It was when he asked me to move back into my mother's house for a while, when he knew my sister fully and called her by name. It was then that I surprised myself with sorrow. I said I would not love him, but I failed. Thereafter, I cooked well. He praised my food, but he lingered over Rachel's. I tried to hide my sorrow. It had not been planned that I should love Jacob, nor was it his fault that I did. So he did not see my heart, but the Lord saw. She was the one nobody wanted. But God. Let's move on. When God realized that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and had a son. She named him Reuben. Look, it's a boy. This is a sign, she said, that God has seen my misery and a sign that now my husband will love me. Now these names are picked for a very specific reason. Reuben's name, the first part of it, comes from the Hebrew root word of the verb to see, and Ben means son. So Reuben literally means see a son. Leah's hoping that since God has clearly seen her misery, her situation as a wife who is unloved, that bearing Jacob's firstborn son will somehow make Jacob finally see her, maybe even love her. Yet Leah found out that having a baby, even a son, could not make Jacob love her. She tries again. She became pregnant again and had another son, God heard, she said, that I was unloved, so he gave me this son also. She named her second son Simeon, God heard. Now the name Simeon comes from the Hebrew verb shamar, which means to hear. Her meaning in this name was to take comfort that God had heard of her being unwanted and unloved. Interesting that so far these names do not necessarily mean much about the child or who that child will grow up to become, but rather those names reflect her own state of mind and her own feeling of brokenness. Our text continues. Leah conceives again. She became pregnant again, another son. She said, now maybe my husband will connect with me. I've given him three sons. That's why she named him Levi, connect. So if you're tracking with me, you can guess, yes, Levi means to connect or to attach. In naming her third son Levi, Leah is hoping with the fact that she's produced three boys for Jacob and while Rachel has remained barren, that she will begin, he will begin to connect with her, attach to her and her boys. Again, the name for her son is all about her need to be noticed, to be connected, to be accepted, to be loved by her husband. But then something different happens with the birth of her fourth son. She became pregnant a final time and had a fourth son. She said, this time I'll praise God. So she named him Judah. Praise God. Then she stopped having children. Judah's name literally means praise or thanksgiving. 
Leah has somehow now chosen to take that focus off of herself and her own circumstances and has chosen to praise God. She looks instead to the God who loves her, who has created her, who has named her, who has called her to fulfill those desires of being accepted and loved. She's praising him and giving thanks to Almighty God, to Yahweh, to the great I Am. Leah has had an epiphany, a realization that while she may have been the one that nobody wanted, God wanted her. God knew she was unloved and opened her womb. God saw that Jacob was not seeing her and gave her Reuben to show her that God sees her. God saw that Leah's cries at night were unheard by anyone else and gave her Simeon to show her that God heard her cries. God saw that Leah was not embraced by the man who is her husband, so he gave her Levi to demonstrate that his embrace would be sufficient. And finally, Leah calls out in praise and thanksgiving for the love that God has shown her, rejoicing in the birth of Judah. Judah. Now don't miss the significance of this because I never noticed it until just the last two weeks preparing for this sermon. And I've taught this story to youth groups for dozens of years and never noticed this. In shifting her focus and naming Judah praise, she is now ushering in the genealogical line from which the ultimate redeemer will descend. Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, will bring redemption, healing, and wholeness to all those who feel unwanted or cast aside or invisible or forgotten. Leah, the one nobody wanted but God. But God changed everything. When we choose, when we choose, make that choice to praise God even in the midst of our circumstances, it's then that we begin to discover who we are truly meant to be, wanted and beloved children of God. This longing to be loved and to love someone is a deep human need. Doug was mentioning it at the very beginning about when we greeted each other, the image of God in me greets the image of God in you. We have been created in God's image and God is love and relationship in his very being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is community and we are called, we are hardwired to love, to be loved, and to be in community. And this is what is so beautiful about the church. Unlike so many other institutions and organizations that are out there that you can become a member of, the church of Jesus Christ exists for those who are not yet members. We exist for those who are still out there and don't know that they can come and find a place where they are loved and accepted. Now, a few weeks ago, I was in Virginia Beach for the memorial service of one of my aunts. Her older son, my cousin, Cush, was telling me about his hippie days of the 1960s. <clears throat> He's even older than I am. He said that he and a buddy had been invited to a church and they thought, sure, let's try it out. All the while thinking they really don't want people like us there. He never expected to be accepted with his long straggly hair and his sandals and his tattered jeans. 
And as they walked up the steps of the church, a gentleman in a very fine suit was holding the door and his arms wide open. And he said, welcome, we are glad you're here. Chris said he'd never experienced that kind of warmth and acceptance from anyone in his life. Soon after that, he said yes to following Jesus and has been walking with him ever since. He wasn't sure he was wanted that day. But God, but God opened the hearts of people in that congregation to welcome anyone seeking to come in. A father and a mother were desperate to find a church home for their family. They had a very special son who had special needs. Four out of five families with a child with special needs are turned away from a church because churches don't know how to handle it. They don't have resources. Families like this can feel very much disconnected, even unwanted. But God, but God gave a vision to a few faithful folks here at Grace who started and laid a foundation for our Shine ministry. And we now have a director of Shine and that very family worships with us every Sunday. Their son has a buddy who he is with each week and they are thriving. A little girl was left by her parents when she was an infant, when they emigrated to the United States. When she was six years old, they sent for her and she had a few years with her family until the abuse got so bad, she was pulled out of the home and put into foster care at the age of 12. When she aged out of foster care, she was immediately replaced and had to find a new home. She could have easily been on the streets, feeling like she was just cast off, unwanted. But God, but God, through one of her school teachers, gave her a brand new family who have welcomed her in as one of their own. The one nobody wanted, but God. But God sees those who feel invisible. God hears the cries of those who feel unheard. God embraces those who feel unloved. And he chooses to do this through his church. He does this through you and through me. When we open our eyes to those who feel invisible, when we open our ears to those who feel silenced, to, for us, when we open our arms to the unloved, we become the body of Christ that Jesus meant for us to be. Doesn't it make you want to be on the front lines of the welcome team? I'm sure there are opportunities to serve. Doesn't it make you want to be out there in the parking lot so you can be the first person to say, welcome, we're glad you're here, even on a rainy or snowy day. Go ahead, fill out a connection card today. Let someone know that you want to be that person that opens their arms to somebody looking to find a connection. And friends watching online, If you have not yet come to one of our campuses, we encourage you to do so. Because there's something special about being present, yes? 
There is something special about being in community with these brothers and sisters, lifting our voices together in praise, the awe, the joy, the majesty of our corporate worship time together. There's just something magical that happens when you're in the room. As we've talked about our Sunday experience being one of our top priorities, one of the things Pastor Brian keeps saying is we want want people to know how incredible it is to be in the room And that every time he says that, I start singing the song from Hamilton. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens, the room where it happens. You want to be in the room where it happens. So we encourage you. You're welcome anytime. And if anyone is here today feeling like Leah, unloved, unwanted, unnoticed, silenced, forgotten, invisible, hear this good news. But God, but God wants you. God loves you. God sent Jesus to break through the lies that you've been told about yourself, the lies that you've believed about yourself, and to speak truth into your deep soul about how truly loved you are. In the end, Jacob chose to have Leah buried in the same spot as Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, where he himself would be laid. Leah, in her death, was finally recognized as the matriarch that she was. She may have felt like she was the one nobody wanted, but God had other things in mind, like redeeming all of humankind through her offspring. Judah. Praise God. When we choose to praise God in the midst of our circumstances, we begin to discover who we are truly meant to be and who we truly are, wanted and beloved children of God. Let's pray. Our gracious God, how we thank you for these very real people that we read stories about in your scriptures. Very real people with very real feelings who make mistakes, whose stories take twists and turns like ours do. Help us in the midst of all of it to see your sovereign hand at work. How through her sons, you were able to let Leah know that you saw her, you heard her, and you loved her. Help each of us to know that as well, that you see each of us as we sit here today, as we listen online. You hear each of the thoughts that are in our minds, and you love us, and that you've called us as the church to be your arms of love that will embrace one another. Help us to do that to your glory, we pray this day. In Jesus' name, amen.